This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back hello this is the red box podcast i'm matt chorley we begin with an apology now you know you can trust me you know that i'm a man of my word but i've let you down i've let myself down i've let the country down And if it gets much hotter, I'm going to let my trousers down. Earlier this week, I launched my campaign videos, setting out my priorities, my vision, my values, my words, my pictures and my face. However, I, sorry, we made a mistake. The Britain of fry-ups, even ones which have chips. The Britain of replacement bus services. The Britain of awkwardly smiling at someone in a sauna. Stonehenge, the Somerset Shoe Museum. It has since come to my, sorry, our attention that in fact the Somerset Shoe Museum closed in 2019. Now, this is a terrible flip-flop. But after a lot of soul-searching, I believe that we can come together and heal. I'm sure my rivals will want to put the boot in. I just asked them to walk a mile in my shoe museum and today i can announce my new campaign anthem right there we are then got that out of the way we fight on we fight on we're through to the next round still got more views on my video than it is harvey so my campaign's going very well. Today, we had the leadership launch of Penny Mordant. So we can dip into that. Recently, I think our party has lost its sense of self. If I can compare it to being in the Glastonbury audience when Paul McCartney was playing his set, we indulged all those new tunes, but what we really wanted was the good old stuff that we all knew the words to. Low tax. Small state, personal responsibility. We need to get back to that because we've got some really serious challenges. That's her, Paddy Morden there. We'll uh, we'll keep an eye out to see if if anything new she says during her uh, her speech. I'm I'm not quite sure about that that Paul McCartney metaphor. But anyway, now it's time for this. The Columnists on Times Radio. 
Yeah, every Wednesday at this time. We're usually joined by Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson, but Robert's away on some sort of secret mission today. But Alice is here. Morning, Alice. Morning. And we've joined by Carol Lewis. Morning, Carol. Hello. Uh, let's start with Penny Mordaunt, uh, actually. And her, well, as we were just hearing, you know, we need to go back to the old songs that we all know the words to. Low tax, small state, personal responsibility. What do you make of that, Alice, as a pitch in 2022? Just so depressed. The idea that we want to go back to the good old stuff. I mean, that's the whole problem is all these campaigns haven't got anything new in them. They're not addressing anyone. In fact, in my column I wrote, they weren't addressing anyone pre-1979, anyone in their sort of 20s or 30s. But as a lot of people pointed out to me, they're not addressing anyone under 60, really, that it's all about this. It's all about, you know, marriage, grammar schools. Um, It's all about, you know, personal responsibility, anti-woke and they've just forgotten that half the population is under 50 and that they are actually the people we really need now and they're only addressing the Tory party and that is a huge mistake, I think. And it's, 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 it's sort of the... For reasons, but later on we're going to be talking about uh, how the, the roots of the fact that this is quite a diverse campaign it lies in David Cameron's attempts to modernise and change the face of the party. So I, I've spent most of the morning going through old David Cameron speeches from 2005. The really striking thing is there is he keeps saying we can't just play the old records. We have to reflect modern Britain. We have to address uh, whether it's a single mother struggling to get the kids out the door before they get to work. We can't just be banging up, well, famously, we can't just keep banging on about Europe was one of the things he said. But, but the, the successful leaders are the ones who did the exact opposite of this, standing next to the union flag and talking about the old, the greatest hits. Well, that's what's extraordinary is Tony Blair and David Cameron, whatever you think of them, won elections. They were incredibly effective. And actually, they managed to change the way that we looked at the world and what we were doing. They felt as if they were on top of it and they got a new generation into politics. This lot literally have nothing new to say. And it's extraordinary. They don't want the word new anywhere near them. I mean, both Blair and... Uh, Cameron both wanted to use the word new a lot. Now they keep using the word old. I mean, that, that seems to be their selling point for everyone. Yeah, it's about, what do you make of it, Cal? It's all rather odd, isn't it? I think six out of the eight are aged under 50. I mean, Sunak and Badenoch and Braverman are all 42, so they're all pretty young. Um, maybe they can't remember the, the good old days. That's, that's the problem. That's why we're going all back to Thatcher. I'm sick of seeing pictures of Thatcher everywhere during this leadership campaign. But it, I suppose that's what makes it even weirder, because if in the, uh, in the good old day it was John Redwood saying, let's go back to the good old days, well, he was at least of that generation. There's something slightly peculiar about someone in their 40s. Or discussing it ain't half hot, Mum, as if that's what we're all watching on TV. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just so dated when, you know, you've got to go for something like Love Island if you're going to get anyone remotely interested under 50. I mean, it, they just seem, they all seem like Jacob Rees-Mogg now. They all seem very old fogey, <laughs> desperate to kind of go back to tweed. And and I just think it makes it very depressing if you're living in Britain to think that we just keep harking backwards. Do you think that that opens up then an opportunity for Labour? I mean, given that at the next election, the, 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 the message of change, the single biggest problem that these candidates are going to face, whoever wins, is that by the time of the next election, the Tories will have been in power for 14 years. If what they're offering is the good old days, when we've had a pretty rubbish time, then it's quite an easy sell for the Labour Party, isn't it? Well, you'd think so, but even they don't seem to be able to do anything about it. Just no one has a vision, do they? I mean, we used to think that Tony Blair didn't have a vision, but now we've realised that actually, you know, he was quite advanced, really, compared to this lot. I don't think Labour have really shown what they'd do either. And there's so many issues that they could address. I mean, you know, none of them have pointed to childcare until we've had today. None of them are pointed to education. None of them are pointed to really anything that people are worrying about now, you know, declining population, 
um, cost of living standards, they're, they're not addressing the really big issues, are they? Or climate change. So on the subject of childcare, because I thought it was interesting, partly because it was a new policy, which wasn't just promising tax cuts, but um, Penny Morden's written in the Times today, I believe parents and care is the best place to decide what's right for their child. So I plan to move away from a policy of fixed entitlements to tax-free childcare and instead create a new system of personalised budgets that will allow every child to access their entitlement to subsidised childcare at a time most suited to their family's needs. Uh, blah, blah, blah. She goes on. She then says, and for those parents and carers who choose to stay at home to care for children, my government will explore what more could be done to ensure allowances support marriage and civil partnerships. We know stable families help children. So this is, this is literally, Carol, that using the tax system to reward people who get married and essentially mother stays at home It does. It sounds very anti-single mum, doesn't yeah. it? It sounds like we are going back to the good old days of yeah. bashing single mums. And tying tax benefits to your marriage status. You, you stay with the partner you don't want to stay with because you'll get childcare support. That I means it's just totally wrong, isn't it? I, I can't what get my you, head around it. What do you honest. make of it, Alice? So I think their biggest problem is that, that, that they are tying it to marriage. They're tying it to old-fashioned things. And when you look at the stats around Europe, um, they've got the wrong models. So in Hungary and Poland, they're doing the same. They're saying get married, be stable, stay at home you know, baked bread. And, and that hasn't worked. They haven't actually had more children, uh, young women. What has worked is what they're doing in France and Germany. So in Germany now, you can have... My niece spends £42 a month on her two children for childcare. Now, that is... What? So different. <laughs> for two children? For two children going to school in the morning. In the Netherlands, what they tend to do is the children come home for lunch at two o'clock with their parents. Their parents work in the morning. And then they all... You know, go to sports events. They 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 do family things together, and then in the evenings they catch up with their work. There are alternative flexible methods, but the idea that we want to kind of force women to go back into the home again, and we want to praise women who are uh, sitting by, um, you know, the, the hearth, and and is is just so retrograde. I think. I think what we need to do is actually subsidise childcare properly. We have the highest childcare costs in the world. And I suppose it's, it's this idea, and I've got into a bit of a discussion about it. Was an it wasn't you know an angry one. It was just a genuine live discussion on Twitter about this this morning. Because some people, supporters of this idea, say it's better for children if they're at home, you know, for personal development. If that's the case, the, the state maybe should literally pay people to stay at home. But actually, all the evidence suggests that children. I remember you know Nick Clegg and David Cameron on the coalition years. They, they the reason they were bringing down the age that you got free childcare was because all the evidence showed, particularly from poorer families, the sooner that children got into some formalised childcare, mixing with other children, starting that sort of program development, holding a pencil, and all that that was good. That was the the, the actually the, the the children who were at home did less well. That was behind the whole um, Sure Start yeah, campaign, exactly, which yeah. worked very well. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing we've got a problem with is subsidised childcare, definitely. I mean, I think the last time the UNICEF ratings became something like 28 out of 31 for childcare. But also, I mean, we've got, as Penny Mordant said in her piece, £2 billion that's not spent. And that's because it's so complicated, no one can work out how to get this money. So you could just you know, do a simplification to help release some money. And actually, isn't her, her talking about... Uh, tax-free childcare isn't that wasn't that a thing i don't think they still do the voucher because our children are older now but we used to have a thing with childcare vouchers and you basically you bought your vouchers pre-tax and that was yes it's all become so complicated I think which is why we I think have, they might have faded that out we now have the two billion but i mean 
what's interesting to me is we do actually pay for childcare. We do, you see, you have very good maternity measures here, much better than, say, in America. Yeah. And that, that is a good thing. And I think that all the research shows that in the first year of a child's life, it is very important to have stable structures. But then, as you say, you do want to have some sort of childcare provision. What's really important as well is to have flexibility so that women can go back to work slowly, that they can have some time in holidays off, that we should be looking at that. But the idea that we're going to go back to a state where women are actually encouraged to stay at home until their children go to secondary school seems astonishing to me. And, all, and it's just completely out of, you know, if you're in your 20s and 30s right now, man or woman, and you're thinking about starting a family, this, this will seem alien, won't it? If you're like a 25, 30-year-old woman thinking about having children, you'll just think, well, I, I don't, you know, and, and you're in a job that you enjoy and you're successful and you might earn more than your other half. The idea that you're going to be won over by this, we're going to adjust the tax system. At a time when money is short, we're going to adjust the tax system to reward you to stay at home so you can pass on your tax I know, it's, it's unbelievable. We should be doing more to help women work. Um, but it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. I mean, part of the problem is, um, which Alice alluded to in her column, is these people are talking to the Tory party membership who are mainly old white men. And we know from, I read the study that you uh, quoted, that they, they've got some pretty strange views. They, they're anti-gay marriage, they're up for the um, death penalty, they believe children should be taught to uh, obey authority. So they're not talking to you and yeah. I. I mean, as far as I can see, they're talking to a whole different bunch of people who are about to vote for them. But there's something interesting... Um, you made the point about Tony Blair, Alice, but leaders who challenge their parties are often quite successful in various ways. You know, David Cameron really challenged his party over growing up and talking about, you know, looking like one of it. Tony Blair, Clause 4. Actually, having a row with your party to show that you're in touch with the public is quite a smart thing to do. Yeah, and what worries me, actually, is that we are only two years from an election and any of these candidates, if they say all this now, will probably have to put some of this into their manifesto. Mm. And actually what they should be doing is addressing the country now because the biggest election they are going to have is not going to be the election where they become Prime Minister. It's going to be the next one and they are going to lose it if they look this out of touch, I think. And then you've written about young people, you've written a bit more broadly about young people today, um, Alice, and how you know they are getting increasingly political. I mean, partly because you know when times are good, you can just enjoy being a young person. But if you've had a terrible time at uh, university, you know, you've paid a lot of money, you haven't got anything from it, you're struggling to get a job, you're being, you know, uh, and all of, put all of that together. So it, it seems even more exaggerated that, that this is exactly the time when if young people are becoming more, more politicised, you might slightly direct yourself to anyone under 60. Yes, well, the problem is that they don't want to get involved in political parties. They don't look at any party mm. and think that it actually talks to them. So they go for single issues, which is great in some ways. So you get Greta Thunberg or you get them talking about climate change or everyone's invited with Sarah Soma, who's talking about rape culture. But they won't get involved at Westminster. And you can see why, because they think it's toxic, they think it's mm. sexist, um, and they don't want to be part of it, but they need to be part of it in the end if they're going to change the conversation. Definitely. I've got a 19-year-old daughter and, um, yes, very political. They're very in touch with current affairs. They, you know, they, they are looking on social media and reading all the politics. And, you know, like, like you say, all the protests they got out for and they've got opinions, but they just don't identify with the parties. And perhaps what needs to happen in schools is more um, involvement with the youth parliament. Getting, you know, maybe yeah, every yeah. school has to stop getting involved with the British Youth Council and doing the Youth Parliament so that people actually learn about politics, not in a dry, 
sort of what does proportional representation mean, but actually in discussing issues with people and debating, bring it alive. There's definitely that gap there where they are small p political, but they don't think that politics has got anything to do with them. Mm. Well, you can see why. I mean, you look at tractor porn and they're thinking, what? And then you look at, you know, (laughs) what's happening actually in Westminster and they think, I don't want to be there. And and the idea is very old-fashioned in some ways that you have to sign up to an entire party's agenda, that they all are much more free-thinking, that they they pick and choose more, but they're not being given any choice. But actually, one of the things I found striking, and maybe maybe it's a sort of the twittification of politics, is that in the old days, by which I mean maybe 10 or 15 years ago, um, you... Everyone compromised for where they were going with the political party. You know, on the whole, I don't agree with X on on that particular issue, but in general terms, I'm on board with that party or that party. In the same way that uh, MPs might not have been, you know, signed off on every single... But what we're seeing in this, this leadership contest is like, unless I get my way on absolutely everything, I am not on board with, you know, this candidate or that candidate or... Or whatever, you know. I'm, you know, people say like, I, I can't possibly stand Rishi Sunak because he's not willing to fund this, that, or the other. You know, and it's, it's, it's the, it's an extraordinary way where we are in politics right now. Maybe it's born out of Brexit. You know, I wanted my Brexit, come what may, and it's whatever I get, um, rather than seeing things in the in the round humble face. But you know what I mean? That that sort of nobody's willing to compromise these days. Well, compromise is now seen as a very dirty word, which I think is fascinating because actually, you know, at the turn of the century, it was seen as what everyone wanted. It was the middle way. It was a third way. It was like we all thought that you'd have to stay on the centre ground to win elections. Now it's all about being passionate, obsessed, really self-obsessed, actually. And I think maybe you're right. Maybe Brexit was that, that I think when you have these referendum, it's an either-or question. And in fact, life isn't either-or, yeah, is yeah. it? And it just becomes the party of me. Mm. I want what mm. I want right now. Mm. What would you like right now, Carol? <laughs> Some sensible politicians. I want cleaner seas and beaches, actually, because I'm going to be spending most of the time in Britain and I'm going to be going to the beach. And now I worry about the sewage the whole time. Oh, yeah, well... You haven't worried about that map, but when you go back to Devon and you look well, at that, I'm, that going, map... I'm going to Dorset, but yeah. OK. A couple of weeks, I'll be down there, Lyme Regis. Yeah, but you want a clean sea, don't you? Well, I thought it was clean, now you've worried me. <laughs> <laughs> that was Carol Lewis and Alice Thompson then. Of course, you can read them both in The Times every week. Just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box to subscribe. Coming up, it's PMQ's Unpacked. And is it Boris Johnson's last one? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. 
Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Patrick Maguire. We do indeed. Patrick Maguire is here. Good afternoon, Matthew. Live in the studio. How are you? I'm tip-top and ready for uh, one of the few remaining sessions of PMQs we'll ever have with Boris Johnson. Could be his penultimate session if he doesn't do the one in the first week of September. Well, no, in fact, so I checked that oh, with Nuzgani from the 922 committee. You've done some reporting. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I was on air. I asked the question. And she said, yes, no, the, the new uh, leader will be named on Monday the 5th. They will take office on the Tuesday the 6th and they will do their first Prime Minister's questions on the 7th. Which is interesting. So that raises several interesting questions, not all of which I'll rush through here. But one, what sort of mood is Boris Johnson going to be in? Is he going to be demob happy as yeah. Margaret Thatcher famously was? And the second is, what does Keir Starmer ask? Well, I can tell you what Keir Starmer's going to ask. I've just had uh, a chat with a senior Labour source. He's going to ask the Prime Minister, um, uh, you know, he's probably going to ask the Prime Minister, I understand, about... Um, the chaos caused by other candidates rather than focusing on the Prime Minister's own conduct. He's going to, you know, throw it over to the Prime Minister and give him the opportunity to criticise some of the contenders to, um, to succeed him. Otherwise. Well, before things really uh, started, uh, it's all kicking off in the House of Commons uh, before we've even got to Boris Johnson. Stand by the lathe, Patrick. It's Lindsay Hoyle. <laughs> I will not tolerate such behaviour. If you want to go out, go out now, but if you stand again, I will order you out. Make your mind up. Either shut up and get out. I warn the honourable member that if things protest in carrying out, shut up a minute. Does somebody want <clears throat> to want? So it's not completely clear, Patrick, what's going on here. Who is he crossed with? Two of the, well, I say two of, the two MPs from Alaba, Alex Salmon's party, which listeners might have forgotten even existed, have been standing up and screaming at Boris Johnson. And Lindsay Hall is giving that very short shrift, as you'd expect. I shall be compelled to name both of them, which may lead to them being suspended from the House. Right, names. So, so by naming them, that, if he if he called names them, that's literally the process of kicking yes, them out. Yes, they're ejected from the house. Where's the names? I order. Shut. MP Sobscur, you can't even remember the names. I am now naming you and Kenny McCaskill to leave this chamber. Sergeant, deal with them. Deal with them. Deal with them. Just sit down. So that, uh, yeah, Kenny McCaskill and Neil Hanvey. Well, it really is all kicking off. The metalwork teacher has lost control of the class. Let them out, Sergeant. Let them out. Robin Miller. Shh. Come again. No, then let's just see if we can. 
Mr. Costa, you don't want to go and escort them to the tea room, do you? No, I suggest not. I think you're a good and better behaved than that. Right, we'll try again after that. Prime Minister will know go so to Robin Yeah, Miller. you can hear the clerks there trying to tell uh, um, Lindsay Hoyle what's, what you're supposed to be doing. Well, that was quite the start to proceedings, Patrick. How fun that was. Um, <laughs> it just does go to show you, though, the, the scale of anger in some quarters of the political world towards Boris Johnson. Um, you know, I think when the history books of this period come to, ri- come to be written, that might be the only mention for Alaba uh, at any stage in them. <laughs> that, that very brief footnote. <laughs> Um, it's not. They were just shouting at Boris Johnson. Seems to be what was going on there. And uh, Lindsay Hoyle had had enough before it even got going. Uh, yes, uh, it's as simple as that. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Um, we should just remind uh, you that, because this, so this is Boris Johnson's first one uh, back uh, since he announced that he was going. Um, will we get a? I'm enjoying this moment because this was obviously Margaret Thatcher. The, the after she announced that she was going. She went to PMQs and had quite a sort of bombastic um, uh, uh, outing. Yeah, and look, to many Tory MPs, Alan Clark recalls in his diaries how um, gut-wrenching it was watching her almost in her pomp at that moment, knowing that they'd made what he saw and what many other Tories MPs saw, Christian on a majority of them, of course, saw as a dreadful mistake in getting rid of her. And, you know, I, I can't help but feel Tory MPs sat behind Boris Johnson won't be regretting what they've done. But Boris Johnson may well avail of the opportunity, particularly as Keir Starmer may well ask him about the leadership contenders, may take the opportunity to use the privileges of his office to, uh, you know, maybe stick a stiletto in between the ribs of uh, a certain candidate. Well, uh, we prepare to go to the House of Commons. This match only on time. Ready? PMQs unpacked. We do it like nowhere else. Everywhere else they put PMQs on and they go and make a coffee. Here we pause the action live to analyse it in real time. You can listen along on time zone. You can watch along on YouTube. Go on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, nice to see you. Uh, share it. Put it on your social medias. Text your friends. Uh, phone your granny and tell her to tune in. If you tune in right now, you can see the damage to the TV behind Patrick Maguire, where in all of the excitement of last week's resignations, he reversed his chair into the TV screen and broke it, uh, which is why there's the, the sort of weird stripy lines behind. Um, uh, but that, if that's not a reason to go online, I don't know what is. Right, here we go then. Boris Johnson's penultimate Prime Minister's questions. We kick off with Keir Starmer's question number one on PMQ's Unpacked. Mr Speaker, may I join the Prime Minister on his comments about the former Prime Minister of Japan, a deeply shocking moment, and of course his comments about genocide. Mr Speaker, may I welcome the new Cabinet to their places? We have a new Chancellor who accepted a job from the Prime Minister on Wednesday afternoon and then told him to quit on Thursday morning. A new new Northern Ireland Secretary who once asked if you need a passport to get to Derry. Sunday Times exclusive. And the new Education Secretary, whose junior ministers have literally been giving the middle finger to the public. It is truly the country's loss that they will only be in post for a few weeks. (laughs) Now, the Prime Minister must be feeling demob happy since he was pushed out of office. Finally, he can throw off the shackles, say what he really thinks, and forget about following the rules. So, does he agree? Does he agree it's time to scrap the absurd non-dom status that allows the super-rich to dodge tax in this country? 
let's just jump in there. We're waiting to hear Boris Johnson's response. Uh, that, quite smart, this, so it far. It really is. Keir Starmer is clearly having a good time. That was a very well-crafted opening. Uh, you know, he's wanting to tar the entire Conservative Party with the Boris Johnson brush, um, which is what he's doing when he uh, mocks the Cabinet. Also, it's just very funny. And that is a brilliant first question because it is an invitation to Boris Johnson to have a dig at Rishi Sunak. And there are lots of people in number 10 and indeed the number 11 flat in which the Prime Minister lives uh, who would very much like him to seize it with both hands. So let's see what he says. Let's see what he says. Prime Minister, well, I, could t- I, I thank you very much. And uh, it's perfectly true that uh, I, I'm grateful for uh, the ability to speak my mind. I never really uh, lost, Mr Speaker. But what I'm focusing on is continuing the government of the, of the country. And as, as I've just told you, Mr Speaker, tomorrow, from tomorrow, £326 is arriving. Never mind non-DOMS, Mr Speaker. I, DOMS, DOMS or non-DOMS, I don't mind. Uh, £326 is arriving, is arriving in the bank accounts of 8 million vulnerable people. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and how can we do that? Uh, because we took the decisions uh, to get the strong economy that we currently have that I'm afraid uh, were resisted uh, by sorry, growth, growth in May at 0.5%, Mr Speaker, uh, which, which they weren't expecting. We have, as I've told you before, Mr Speaker, 620,000 more people in, pay, in payroll employment than before the pandemic uh, began. And one of the consolations of leaving office at this particular time Mr. Speaker, is that vacancies are at an all-time high. Well, there we are. That was a sort of classic Boris Johnson response. Uh, ignore the question, then. Talk about something else. Roll out a series of Interesting, though. Uh, doms or non-doms, I don't mind. Which might prompt uh, Team Rishi to think, well, well, why did someone from Number 10 leak the details of... Uh, <laughs> of uh, Mrs Sunak's financial affairs. Yeah, and look, I don't want to come out, come across all FR Levis, but if, you know, if you do a close reading of that, you know, Rishi Sunak, Doms, Nomdoms, uh, both have proved to be problems for him in this uh, <laughs> in this campaign. Uh, and number 10 would like to like us very much to be talking about both. So as much as he he had the gave the impression that Boris Johnson was uh, you know, uh, graciously avoiding the question, uh, decorously avoiding the question. Even you know there was uh, there was something in there for fans of the uh, Boris Rishi psychodrama. I think yeah, it's going down really well on uh, on YouTube. Absolutely no relevance to the question asked, says Matt. Uh, completely ignoring the question, useless, says Steve. Uh, Catty by the beach says so surreal that Boris is still there. Uh, a sentiment I think probably shared by quite a lot of Tory MPs. Uh, uh, Jeff says, please don't interrupt Starmer when asking a question or Johnson when answering. Well, that's sort of the point, though. You can, if, you, if you want an uninterrupted stream of uh, consciousness, then you can go to one of the other radio stations where they're currently enjoying a big latte. Uh, anyway, here we go, then. Uh, not a bad start from Keir uh, Starmer. Can he keep it up? This is question two. Keir Starmer. Uh, uh, cut, cut, cut him some slack. Faced with an uncertain future, a mortgage-sized decorator's bill... Uh, they'll be soon for somebody else's flat. I'm not surprised he's careful not to upset any future employers. So here's an even simpler one. Does he agree that offshore schemes can pose a risk because some people use them to avoid tax they owe here? Prime Minister, 
Mr. Speaker, I am proud of the investment that this country uh, attracts from, uh, from around the world. And uh, he's talking about uh, people from offshore people investing in the UK. Uh, I'm absolutely thrilled uh, to see uh, that we've had, I think, 12 billion in tech alone uh, come in in the last in the last couple of uh, last couple of months. I think it's possible, Mr. Speaker. He's referring uh, not to me, uh, but to some of the eight brilliant candidates who are currently vying uh, for my job. Let, let me just tell let me just tell him that let me just tell him that any one of them will wipe the floor with Captain. say the furniture has to be repaired and one of the members already had one bill I'm sure he doesn't want another Prime Minister oh. anyone who would like before with Captain Crasheroonie's snooze fest and after a few weeks time uh, that is exactly what they will do they will unite around the winner and do just that even Mark Spencer the most garrulous man in Parliament couldn't even muster a fake laugh at that that's, Cap- a, that's a disgrace. Captain Crasher Rooney's snooze fest. Well, that, that goes back to our, our story, Patrick. It did. Um, you know what? We are, Mr. Boring snoring is... We are yeah. tastemakers. I don't really take it I'm as a compliment I'm not sure we take it as a case. compliment that he's, uh, he's taken that. I, mean, I don't know whether he was just going to do Captain Hindsight and then Lindsay Hoyle's interruption prompted him to reach... Well, his, his mind is probably already drifting to the uh, calls he's going to have to be making to Fleet Street comment editors in the coming months as he's you know pitching... His new column, so uh, you know we. Well, it's, hard, it's harder to get published by Times Red Box than it used to be. So. It, it really is. We've, we've tightened up. <laughs> look, look. You know, if Boris Johnson, you know, our rate is, uh, you know, much less than the two hundred seventy-five grand that used to be paid by the Telegraph. But you know, every little helps. Start, uh, it's got to start Boris. somewhere. Uh, uh, Jesus, that was awful. Says someone on Twitter. Uh, he speaks like an oddball cartoon character. God, people are just waking up to this. Yeah. <laughs> I made a mistake yesterday because I asked on Twitter, and actually you can get in touch with the highlights. If next week is Boris Johnson last, your highlights and lowlights of Boris Johnson. And I said he was a good orator in other areas, but he struggled a bit in the House of Commons. People are very cross with the suggestion he's ever been a good orator of any kind. As a sort of after-dinner speaker, gagmeister, whipping a crowd up and making them feel good, he has a skill. Yeah, look, if you're at the KPMG Christmas party... And uh, I'm sure that stuff goes down a storm, but it provably hasn't in the parliamentary consideration. But also, in, t- in terms of public speaking and whipping a crowd up, making them feel good about themselves, he's got a skill that actually the eight currently in the running lack. Uh, yes, broadly speaking, yeah. Broadly speaking. And look, Tom Tugendhat doesn't make you want to scream and shout, does he? Tom Tugendhat's never, as far as I'm aware, waved around a fish or a brick. Or a broom. Well, he did sign the official secrets act, so... That's true. What happens in Kabul stays in Kabul. <laughs> well, there we go, then. We didn't even talk about the question there. <laughs> Clearly aimed at Ndeem Zahawi, who has oh, yeah, faced well, questions remember the format, about his personal finances. Um, again, Boris Johnson declined the opportunity to have a populist chancellor. Very restrained of him today. Here we go, then. Uh, let's go back to the House of Commons. Uh, it's question number three from Keir Starmer. Yes, He's been saying all week that he wants revenge on those that have wronged him. Uh, here's an idea, Prime Minister. If he, if he really wants to hit them where it hurts, he should tighten the rules on tax avoidance. But at the very least, does he agree that anyone running to be Prime Minister should declare where they and their families have been domiciled for tax purposes and whether they've ever been a beneficiary of an offshore tax scheme? 
Prime Minister. Mr. Sp- Mr. Speaker, to, to the best of my knowledge, uh, everybody in this Parliament, uh, everybody in this House, uh, pays their full whack of tax in this country. And I think that people should, uh, members, ac- members across the House, should, be, uh, should, be, uh, should cease this constant vilification. Uh, of each other. I think people pay their fair share of taxes uh, and, and quite right. Uh, what we're doing, and it's thanks to the tax yield that we have had, uh, that we're able to support the people of this country in the way uh, that we are. Uh, so, so we've been able to increase uh, universal credit uh, by £1,000, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, we're putting £356 into the, to, from tomorrow into the bank accounts of those uh, who need it most, Mr Speaker. And uh, thanks to the policies we have pursued, as I have just uh, told you, uh, we have unemployment at or near record lows. And that is what counts, Mr Speaker. Never, they are very happy to see people languish on benefits. We believe in getting people into good jobs. And, and, and I'm looking for one. I mean, it's an interesting line of questioning from Keir Starmer of try. Actually, it's a sort of on a policy point, but it's it's sort of sharply political as well. It's trying to establish in the minds of the public that whoever wins, they're like a bit dodge. Yes, exactly. And, um, you know, Boris Johnson rushing to defend all of them isn't particularly helpful to the candidates either, particularly those who are pitching themselves as a clean heart, uh, clean heart, clean start. Yeah. Rishi Sunak said Boris Johnson had a good start. Uh, good heart, good bloody hell. Good heart, <laughs> channeling Fergal Sharkey, of course. Yeah, no, there is a good, uh, well, uh, well-trained set of questions from. Have you got Starmer. any idea? Lots of people commenting on the thing that Boris Johnson's got on his lapel it's, um, for the um, for uh, Srebrenica genocide. Okay, yeah. so it's a sort of white, sort of flower with a green centre to it, and. Uh, but Com- uh, as far as I can see, it's only Boris Johnson is wearing it. Uh, Liz Truss as well. Oh, OK, fine. So fine, Secretary. Um, far more importantly, uh, Patrick, um, uh, some breaking news just in from Matt Abrams. It says, hi, Patrick. So good to see you after so many years. We go back to Sefton Youth Orchestra. Loving you and Matt on Times Radio. I remember Matt Abrams and his brother, Tom. There we are. Good lads. Good lads both. I played the double bass. Uh, somebody Ineptly. Else, somebody, well, somebody said, what did pa- Patrick play? You played the double bass. I did. I'm a big lad. <laughs> have you still got a double bass? Uh, actually, heartwarming story. My mum gave it to um, gave it to a charity that um, uh, supplied uh, instruments to uh, refugees. True story. True story. They used to ship musical instruments to Greece. Anyway, that, that's quite enough. Nobody, nobody tuned in for this apart from Matt Abrams, who it's uh, lovely to hear from. Sorry, that's just really tickled me. Um... <laughs> Can we try and get hold of a double bass before the end of uh, before the end of the show? Uh, right, let's go back to the House of Commons. Anybody else who wants to just get in touch? Old school friends of Patrick who wants to get in touch with trips down memory like fact to be better than what we're getting from the House of Commons. Right, let's go back to the House of Commons again. This is I know question something about the bone Keir Starmer. Mr. Speaker, I'm not sure he's been keeping up with what's happening the last few days. Over the weekend, the candidates to replace him have promised three hundred and thirty billion pounds in giveaways. That's, that's roughly double the annual budget for the NHS. Sadly, they haven't found time to explain how they're paying for it, I, even though one of them's the Chancellor and another one was Chancellor until a week ago. They all backed 15 tax rises. Now they're acting as if they've just arrived from the moon, saying it should never have happened. Doesn't he agree that rather than desperately rewriting history, they should at least explain exactly where they're getting all this cash from. 
Minister. Uh, so actually, Mr. Speaker, he's co- he's completely right. I've been listening very I've been listening very carefully, and uh, all the all the uh, commitments that I'm listening to are very are very clear. We will continue. Whoever is elected will continue uh, to put more police out on the street, exactly as we exactly as we promised. Already, a 13,576. We're going to go up to 20,000. Uh, whoever takes over will build. He they always complain about this, but we will build the 40 new hospitals, Mr. Speaker. Uh, and I, I, asked my, I asked my delivery unit yesterday. Well, they don't want it. They don't like it, Mr. Speaker, because they voted against the funding. They voted against the funding uh, that makes it possible, Mr. Speaker. And, and they have also, in, just in the last, in, just in the last period in which he has been in office, made extra commitments of public spending worth 94 billion pounds, which would be thousands of pounds of extra taxation for every family in the country, Mr. Speaker. That's the difference between them and us. Yes, Interesting, Boris Johnson there, sort of trying to tie whoever it replaces him to his legacy, insisting they will do all the things that he said that he would do. Yes, exactly, and that's a clear contrast with how the field are conducting themselves, with the possible exception of Liz Truss, who is trying to sell herself as the candidate of Johnson continuity. After a series of quite well-written questions from Keir Starmer, I'd say that one packed a bit less of a punch because it was clearly aimed at Sajid Javid, the former health secretary who, um, you know, Cabinet sources have been telling journalists all week, argued particularly aggressively in favour of the national insurance levy, only to then come out during his own leadership bid and say, well, what a terrible idea that was. And everybody around the Cabinet table, as you know, both you and I will have heard on our WhatsApps, were, were, were baffled and offended. Um, but, you know... But also, uh, he's not still in the race. No, no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so maybe that, maybe that one should have uh, been pruned overnight. Now, interesting, in uh, Times Red Box this morning, you reported suggestions that uh, Sajid Javid didn't make the cut because... Because, uh, and this maybe speaks to uh, the, uh, the, the, the thin parliamentary backing Sajid Javid had, but his MPs last night, just after he pulled out, obviously, you know, hit the phones... All right, lads, why uh, why didn't your man get through? And one of the MPs uh, informed informed uh, informed inquiring journalists and friends that uh, the twentieth nominator for Sajid Javid had been stuck on the motorway, so he was stuck at nineteen. Now it should be said, other MPs who backed Sajid Javid this morning were telling me, well, listen, yeah, the problem was um, he actually couldn't have reached thirty, and we could have got a twentieth nominee, but we concluded it was better to withdraw with dignity uh, than be humiliated tonight. I'm not sure either cause <laughs> is particularly dignified. Well, the, uh, the one update on that is I spoke to Miriam Cates earlier on, who's on the 1922 committee, and I asked her about exactly this issue, and without her wanting to comment on any particular candidates, she said it was possible if you weren't able to get to parliamentary to, to, email. to email Graham Brady. Uh, Sir Graham Brady told me so last night. If the this MP was uh, stuck in traffic and unable to email, and that's one thing. But basically, it's a bit pathetic. Well, apparently, yeah. another MP on Sajid's sort of campaign committee wasn't returning calls yesterday, so he he picks his backers pretty badly. The uh, old former health secretary, and like you said, if he couldn't get to twenty yesterday, you definitely weren't going to get it to thirty. Yeah, and, and this means Sajid Javid can sort of endorse as a you know a, uh, a sort of great cabinet big beast rather than a humiliated leadership. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right, here we go. Sorry, we've completely drifted away from the, the point in hand. Uh, there might be a reason so for that. Why are we hearing it? Is it, is it number five? Number five. Question number five? Question, question number five. Totally, totally deluded to the bitter end. Now, now... Is he talking about us? <laughs> to be fair... Oh, oh. oh Lindsay all, Hall's up. I think that's the last time I hear from you today. I think otherwise you might be able to buy a couple of other people cups of tea. To be fair to the new Chancellor, he's at least attempted to spell it out. 
He's promised tens of billions in tax cuts and confirmed he would cut the NHS, the police and school budgets by 20% to fund it. The member for Stratford and Gibraltar is complaining, but he said it on TV. And yesterday, yesterday he said, it's simply not right that families are seeing their bills skyrocket and we do nothing. Was the Chancellor speaking on behalf of the Government, Prime Minister, when he promised huge spending cuts and when he said that they're doing nothing on the cost of living crisis? Prime Minister. Look, look, Mr Speaker, this is really pitiful stuff from the, the party. That voted against the thirty-nine billion pounds uh, which is necessary to pay for those fifty thousand uh, nurses, uh, which were recruiting, and we, and we will recruit by 2024, Mr. Speaker, which is necessary to pay for those hospitals, uh, those doctors, and those scans and that treatment. They don't, they don't have a leg to, to stand on, Mr. Speaker. And, and, the, and I can tell him something else. The reason, the reason we've got growth now at uh, 0.5% in May is, is because we took the tough decisions to come out of uh, lockdown on July the 19th last year, which he said was reckless. Never forget, he said it was reckless. We, our economy, would not be strong enough now to make the payments we are to our fantastic NHS. And they know it. Uh, well, there we are. That's uh, Boris Johnson again talking about growth and the economy. He's quite, he's quite I mean, given this, the, literally this time last week, he was still Prime Minister going on and on and on. He had a rough old time at PMQs, but he was trying to he was trying to plough on without Rishi Sunak and Sajid Javid. Uh, he doesn't. If you tuned in now, you wouldn't think there's a man who resigned less than a week ago. No, you wouldn't at all, actually. And he's, uh, you know, on typically bombastic form. Um, but the re- the reason he's energised is that he knows he's writing his own obituary, or he's writing the first chapter of the betrayal narrative that some around him hope will deliver him back into number 10 or at least the front line of politics. Because th- he's trying to sketch out the inheritance he's giving his next. Uh, his uh, his successor, you know, uh, I left a growing economy, uh, steadfast support for Ukraine, uh, lots of people in jobs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and so there's a reason Boris Johnson is, you know, feeling pretty punchy when he's saying that because he's got half an eye on the future. Be that the uh, the apology he's writing for his own uh, reign in number ten, or you know, his comeback. One interesting thing: uh, Keir Starmer spent a lot of time on. Uh... Sajid Javid, who's not even in the race, he then spent that last question on Nadeem Zahawi. Who is going to crash out pretty got, quickly. Who, who, according to our list of endorsements, got 14 public back. He's obviously got slightly more than that because he managed to get 20 last night. Why is he not going after Rishi Sunak, Pennyboard and Liz Truss, who's sitting on the front bench there looking miserable? Uh, it's a good question. Well, t- look, uh, please legal, but some candidates, Labour feel, have more questions about their personal conduct and records in a number of... Uh, commercial areas than others. <laughs> uh, which is what, when um, Keir Starmer described Nadeem Zahab as the, um, uh, the, the member for Stratford in Gibraltar, it's because there's been questions about his investments and connections Again, with Gibraltar. Again, another good joke from Keir Starmer. He's joke. making another habit. Oh, um, making happy of it. Rishi Sunak, for the first time in, in years, not on the front, well, apart from when he went missing, uh, not on the front bench of PMQs. What's he doing? Well, he's not on the front bench. He's no longer a member of the yes. government. 
Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. Sorry, I thought you meant he was missing. Uh, yeah, no, he's tweeting. He's tweeting. Sorry, how rude of me. Um, he has just tweeted, there's a reason Keir Starmer is attacking me at PMQs today. It's because he knows we're the only team that can beat Labour. And he's just tweeted out uh, some polling uh, that shows all the Tory leadership candidates. Uh, so that's Penny Morden, Liz Truss, Jeremy Hunt, Sajid Javid, again, out of the race. Deems Harvey, again, effectively out of the race, ahead by uh, double figures. And Rishi Sunak is ahead of Keir Starmer by a whopping one point. Well, there we are. Let's see if uh, Keir Starmer can make one point in his uh, final question. Let's go back to the House Commons. But I really am going to miss this weekly nonsense from him. <laughs> let's, let's move on. Let's move on from his current Chancellor to his former Chancellor. Last week, he resigned, accusing the Prime Minister of not conducting government properly, competently or seriously. He suggested the Prime Minister is not prepared to work hard or take difficult decisions and implied that the Prime Minister cannot tell the public the truth. Yesterday, he claimed his big plan is to rebuild the economy. Now, even the Prime Minister must be impressed by that Johnsonian brass neckery. <laughs> Can the Prime Minister think of oh, any not jobs very his former Chancellor that. may have had that means he bears some responsibility for an economy that he now claims is broken. Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, I, 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 look, I think everybody who's played a part in uh, the last uh, three years has done a, uh, a remarkable job in helping this country through very difficult times. Uh, I, I just want to say to him, really, uh, this may, if Mr Speaker, the next leader of, uh, of, the, of my party may be elected by acclamation, so it's possible uh, this will be our last, uh, our last confrontation over this. It's, it's, it's possible. So I want to thank him. I want to thank him for the style in which he's conducted himself. I think it would be fair to say he's been considerably less lethal uh, than many other members of this House. Uh, this and I'll tell you why that is. Oh, Liz Truss is finally laughing. I'll tell you why that is. Because he hasn't come up. Can I just say to this end of this front bench... It's Lindsay Hoyle again. ...expect better behaviour, and I'm certainly going to get it. He's taking off the Labour side there. Uh, uh, there's a reason for that, Mr Speaker. Over, over three years, in spite of every opportunity, he's never really come up with an idea, a plan or a vision uh, for, this, for this country. Uh, and I can tell you uh, that... The end of, at the end of three years, Mr Speaker, we got Brexit done, which he voted against 48 times. We delivered the first vaccine in the world and rolled it out faster than any other yeah. European country, which would never be possible to listen to him, Mr Speaker. And we played a decisive role in helping to protect the people of Ukraine from the brutal invasion of Vladimir Putin and helped to save Ukraine, Mr Speaker. And I'm proud to say that we are continuing, and every one of the eight candidates will continue with the biggest ever programme of infrastructure, skills and technology yes. across this country to level up in a, way, in a way that will benefit the constituents of every member of this House, Mr Speaker. And it's perfectly true, it's perfectly true that I leave not at a time of my choosing. And it's uh, uh, absolutely true. But I am, I am proud of the fantastic teamwork that has been involved in all of those projects, both nationally and, and internationally, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, and I'm also proud of the leadership that I have given. And I will be leaving, Mr Speaker, I will be leaving soon with my head held high. Interesting. He seems to think this is his last PMQs. Well, he might have a last-minute 
trip to Kiev planned for next week? Because that is not ge- definitely not the plan. The House is supposed to be sitting next Thursday. There's no prospect of a new Prime Minister being in place by next... Sorry, next Wednesday. They're supposed to break up next Thursday. No prospect... Well, why, why is it? well, unless he wants to, intends to make an excuse, or intends to be out of the country, or otherwise indisposed, um, or maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's got to help put up the marquee for this wedding he's had to move. <laughs> or maybe he doesn't know the parliamentary timetable. Well, that's entirely possible. Well, there we are. We were going to do the, the farewell next week, but maybe we're not. Well, we'll do a farewell to Dominic Raab, who you know <laughs> the nation the nation is waiting with bated breath for that one, aren't they? Unless, uh, so he said, the next leader of my party may be elected by acclamation, so it's possible this will be our last confrontation over the dispatch box. It is possible, he said. There's literally no way that's going to happen, is there? I mean, far be it for me to suggest that Boris Johnson just said something at the House of Commons dispatch box, which is not entirely accurate. Well, look, I mean, you're seeing ministers left, right and centre uh, disregard the, the usual obligation they have to Parliament. Pretty Patel this morning just decided she didn't fancy the Home Affairs Select Committee. So... It's not out of the question that Boris Johnson, who hasn't even... But just in terms of that there's no... Nobody seriously expects the Tory party leadership contest to collapse behind one person before... So quickly. No, no, of course not. Of course not. So Boris Johnson is either either doesn't know the parliamentary timetable or he doesn't intend to show up and doesn't mind uh, that he's he's saying that in public so brazenly because, um, you know, he's in office until September and can do what he wants. Well, there we are. Well, we'll we'll be here next week anyway, doing something. We're not quite sure what. But anyway, um, that was the end of PMQ's Unpacked, the last one with Boris Johnson and uh, Keir Starmer, possibly. Or maybe we'll have another one next week. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.